This is a podcast from thepupilageblog.com. As a good friend once said to me, we all come to the bar with our own story to tell. So, as January comes to an end, another pupilage interview concludes. Unfortunately, it's not the groundbreaking news of success, but rather the customary tale of the small manila envelope arriving through the post with the immortal words etched to the paper, The standard this year was exceptionally high, and I regret to inform you, etc., etc., etc. However, I can at least draw some solace and consolation, as the letter concludes that I possess the qualities that will hold me in good stead in the area of law in which I seek to practice, and that I am well suited to the profession. Comforting words, I hear you cry but not good enough for me to make it through to the next round of interviews. So amid the air of disappointment, it is upwards and onwards to the next round of pupillage applications and the burning of the midnight oil, accompanied with the customary bottle of Shiraz. Preparation for any pupillage interview should always include a wide knowledge of news and views from the bar along with current news and opinions within the area of law in which you seek to practice. That way, you can be assured to be able to succinctly answer any curveball that may be thrown at you during the interview process. However, nothing, and I really mean nothing, could have prepared me for an interview I had recently, as I have mentioned previously in another post. After arriving to the pupillage interview early, I was duly informed that proceedings were running somewhat late. After approximately an hour, the head of the pupillage committee came to the reception area and looked at the assembled bodies seated upon the plastic and leather upholstery. He then proceeded to ask the names of those waiting. When it was my turn to give up my name, the barrister looked away and muttered, Oh, hmm, it's you, hmm. Then promptly, he disappeared. After a further twenty minutes, I was then called and led to a small room within chambers. In the room were two barristers, not three as required. One being the head of the pupillage committee, whom I had met previously outside, and his colleague, who was a female barrister. After the customary shaking of hands, I sat opposite. Suddenly, the head of the pupillage committee stood up and said, I can't do this one. He then promptly turned to his colleague and said, Sorry, I can't do this. You'll have to do this one on your own. At which point he turned and left the room. The remaining barrister looked confused and rather bemused at the comments made, and then remarked upon the fact that the head of chambers was due to be at interview. However, because of illness, he too would be absent. After several uncomfortable minutes, it became very clear that the solitary interviewing barrister had not seen sight of my CV prior to the interview. To make matters worse, comments were raised about my age and whether it was appropriate that I should be applying to chambers and that maybe I should consider my position as being better placed as a law lecturer rather than coming to the bar as a practising barrister. After a buttock-churning twenty minutes, the interview was over. Interestingly, my answers were to have proved persuasive, or alternatively, 
Perhaps Chambers realised that the interview protocol had just not been adhered to. In any event, I was to be later summoned for a second round interview. These customary tales of our first step on the ladder of a new profession are disconcerting and, quite frankly, unacceptable. Arguably, it is without doubt that if this profession we hold so dear to join continues to hold such unacceptable values, it will indeed not survive within this ever-changing legal revolution. As always, just in time. This is a podcast from the pupilageblog.com.